Lincoln Riley appeared on ESPN's first take Monday morning and reiterated that he does believe there will be a college football season at some point. Sure, the schedule could be different. Maybe there won't be fans in the stands. But hey, we just don't know. Riley is correct. He doesn't know what next week will bring, doesn't know what next month will bring, and certainly doesn't know what June, July, and August will look like at this point. Oklahoma's head coach isn't alone. None of us know really anything. I continue to be optimistic about the return of sports. It's great that the PGA Tour has set some dates for major championships and have also hinted they'd like to start playing tournaments in June. Major League Baseball is kicking around the idea to start the season in May in Arizona. Perhaps the NBA could continue by creating some sort of bubble for the teams to play games in. Who knows? We've got nothing but time to figure out the best plans moving forward, and I appreciate these sports leagues thinking outside the box to try and at least get sports to our television screens sooner rather than later. But still, the fact remains, we just do not know what will happen next, and it's frustrating. Also frustrating, Max Kellerman on first take asking Lincoln Riley why he's felt the need to throw the football so much since he's been at Oklahoma. Kudos to Riley for not making a weird face before thoughtfully answering what was a question that had a false premise. Kellerman's job is to know a lot of information about a bunch of different teams and sports and people around the nation and even around the world. It's certainly not an easy gig. I'm not going to sit here and say what he does is easy at all. However, by now, you should know that Oklahoma's offense is not early 2000s Mike Leach at Texas Tech. Riley's been calling the plays at Oklahoma for the past five seasons, and during that time, the Sooners have ran the football 2,785 times. That's an average of 557 attempts per season. OU's passed the ball 2,038 times, an average of 407 attempts per season. By the way, Oklahoma's offense has ranked 7th, 2nd, 1st, 1st, and 3rd, by the metric of total offense during those seasons. Safe to say Oklahoma runs the football quite a bit. Actually, the Sooners run it a lot. And Oklahoma does pass the football a good amount as well. It's really balanced. Probably the most balanced offense in college football, certainly since Riley arrived on campus before the 2015 season. Now, I realize Max Kellerman's probably a lot more into the NFL than college football. Not even really sure that he watches a whole lot of college football. And That's cool, I guess, but when you're him and you got a platform like that, I would recommend familiarizing yourself at least a little bit with the second most popular sport in the United States of America. Just go ahead and take in a full Oklahoma game next season. Just sit down and watch. That's all it's going to take. Just one. And it will be clear that Lincoln Riley's offense isn't the Hal Mummy and Mike Leach air raid. It's something much, much better than that. I'm Lee Benson, and this is West of Everest. On first down, Jones straight back. Tail grabbed it. Tail may have gotten an interception. It's being signaled, yes. The ball was in the air, and Manti Teo, this could be a Heisman moment for this young man. Yep, that was a rare negative Oklahoma intro moment. Manti Teo intercepted Landry Jones back in October of 2012. It was a terrible game for the Sooners, who would go on to lose 30-13. But one year later, OU would get a little bit of revenge on the Fighting Irish in South Bend. And that's the focal point of the show today. Hello, everybody. Once again, I am Lee Benson, and this is West of Everest, 
Grant's going to join me here in a second. Plus, Brady Trantham will join the show as well as we all sit down and watch OU Notre Dame from 2013. Now, before you listen any further, we recommend that you have watched back this OU Notre Dame 2013 game and that's fresh in your memory or maybe even gone back and watched some of the highlights just so you, you kind of got a little bit more of an idea in case you've forgotten a little bit about that game. Or if you want, you can sit down at your computer while you're there in quarantine, punch up the game on YouTube and watch along with us. We're going to be using the YouTube video uploaded by the great L.A. Sooner. To find that link, just go to the West of Everest Facebook page. We posted the link there on the Facebook page. Or if you don't want to do that, you haven't liked our Facebook page yet, you should, by the way. Uh, but another easy way to figure out where this video is located, just search for L.A. Sooner on YouTube. And then you got to go to his playlists and go to the 2013 playlist. You'll be able to find this game in there, and it's the full game, and it's very good quality. And so, again, thanks to L.A. Sooner for putting a lot of OU games up over the years. Very cool. Now, obviously, college football games are very long, and in order to make this rewatch, make sure it doesn't drag along, Grant has gone through the game already and cut out some of the drives and, and different parts of the game that he's deemed mostly unnecessary. So we're going to alert you to all that when we skip ahead during the rewatch, and we'll let you know the time code as well of the YouTube video, so it'll be easy for you to see it. We'll also put it in the episode details. Just kind of think of this as when you watch old games back on ESPN Classic and the anchor just jumps in and says, due to time constraints, we've jumped ahead in the action. One of those things. Uh, the last thing I have before I bring in Grant and Brady, we do have some questions prepared for Brady to ask him as well as some other topics of conversation. And, you know, who knows what else will come up organically as we just watch this game back. We hope that this will prove to be entertaining. We'll help the, the game kind of move on a little bit faster and uh, this whole thing is an experiment. So we thank you for following along with us as we try to spice things up here as we still navigate this world with no sports. Okay, Grant is here now, and I failed to mention this in the intro, but uh, Grant picked this game for us to watch today, and it happens to be a game that I've never seen before. So was that something on purpose, Grant? Yeah, of course. I, I want to... Lee, you don't really know a whole lot at all kind of about like this era of OU football. I thought it'd be fun basically to watch a game and just make fun of you about it the entire time. <laughs> okay. Uh, also joining us, Brady Trantham. And Brady is the host on the franchise in Oklahoma City and Tulsa. He, or he's, a, he's a radio host and also host of many other things. The Inside OU podcast, the Locked On Sooners podcast. And also you might know that Brady knows a little bit about the Oklahoma City Thunder as well. You can hear him on the OKC82 podcast and the Locked On Thunder podcast. So Brady... Welcome into the West of Everest podcast. And did I miss anything? Um, it's kind of a it's kind of hard to really remember what I'm supposed to be doing right now with the current situation. But yeah, I, like we'll just go with it. I I'm a I'm somewhat like I've conned enough people to pretend that I'm somewhat important. But uh, no, it, it's a it's a great honor to be on this podcast. I've listened to West of Everest since you guys started, and uh, I'm an OU football f crazy person. So uh, anytime you guys put out a podcast, I always enjoyed it. And I kind of feel like I'm not even worthy of being on it because you guys come with like the, the numbers, the advanced analytics. Like I can do that in basketball. I'm too much of a fan in football to where I'm like, I, I don't I don't want to know all the numbers, but I just could not help but keep listening to you guys. So it's an honor to be uh, be on the show, guys. Thank you. Is this some breaking news? Were you at, have you actually been listening since the beginning? Um, not That's the awesome. literal beginning, but I've gone back and, um, like listened to some pod, like once I, I think I jumped on, 
oh, I think at the beginning of last season. You know, basically once I once I met Lee at a uh, Thunder practice and started to know a little bit more about him, followed him on Twitter. I was like, oh, he doesn't know you podcast, cool. Because there's only you know there's only a few out there, and so I was like, oh, I'll just jump on and support. And I was like, oh, this is actually really good. So it's it's at probably at the top of my OU podcast listening uh, preference. Jeez, man, that's because I, I don't listen that. to mine. Thanks, so. yeah, <laughs> thanks for listening, man. I really appreciate it. <laughs> of course, of course. So here's the idea. Oh, by the way, yeah, thanks for all the kind words. I feel the same way uh, about you. And yeah, I mean, it's interesting because yeah, we met through Thunder, and so I had no idea that you had this Oklahoma background. And I guess I mean you probably didn't know about about me as well. So it's cool that we can it all led up to this moment. We can talk about this. And I gotta say as well. We're basically ripping you off because you've done this already before on your other podcast. You've already watched back some games. Oh, I mean, we we all we, we have a limited resource right now. Like the thing that I like and I enjoy about covering sports is that it's a renewable resource. The, the sports always there. Um, you get new players. There's always a season. But now we're kind of in uncharted territory where there is no new players. There is no new games. There is no sports going on right now. So we're all kind of forced to pick and choose from the same kind of field so i mean yeah i guess i'm the first one to do it with an ou podcast but i mean i I am no by no means getting mad that you guys are quote ripping me off unquote i mean we who cares you know i i'm (laughs) going to assume that i'm not going to be like inside ou let's watch edition brady trantham on here i'm 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 going to mind my uh i'm not going to curse as much (laughs) let's just say i was going to say yeah i know that uh something that happens a bit on your podcast and we try to keep it somewhat clean around here well to be fair though the the bleeps on his podcast are really like really well timed really well timed it makes it funnier um but you know i let the guests pick the games i let the guests pick the games and so far my guests have picked a lot of landry jones games and i don't know how you guys feel about landry jones but as a crazy ou fan uh, i'm not the biggest fan and that era of oklahoma football enrages me maybe it had something to do with what the fact that that's when i was in school at the time, so uh, I just wish somebody would pick a better sure. game. Basically, <laughs> I'm a I'm a small Landry Jones apologist only only because I like the forward pass and, and I think he was a little just in retrospect he's a little underrated in that regard. But man, that guy he, he's basically the Eli Manning of college football. As your guest, I will defer to your opinion on your own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind way to say you're full of it, and I don't believe anything you're saying. <laughs> Which you can say, too. If, if, if that's how you feel, just let her rip, man. Let's do it. Well, I actually had a, we actually had an intro for this podcast for the first time in a while, and the intro is a Landry Jones interception from the 2012 Notre Dame game that I was actually at, and it was a late fourth quarter interception by Manti Teo, and I can't imagine you all remember that much about the play, but I went back and rewatched it. And I remember it just enraged me again because you go back and watch it. I can't remember the – I think it might have been Saunders, Jalen Saunders, the intended receiver. Was he there at that point? I don't that know. was actually his yeah. first game. I think that was the, fir- the first time he was eligible as a Sooner. Yeah, yeah, because he was uh, – it was, it was only the second half of that season that he played. Yeah. So he was getting tackled as the ball was being delivered to him, and it should have been an easy pass interference penalty. So the interception should have never happened. And obviously that flag gets thrown, Oklahoma – retains possession goes down scores a touchdown and ends up winning that game we're all happy because that's just the way things work whenever calls are missed but that was the last game that i saw in that stadium i have not been back since oh wow first time oklahoma had lost a game in a stadium that i had gone that i had gone to the game actually so 
that was all very memorable in a bad way to kind of wrap up put a wrap or put a bow on the whole thunder thing that you mentioned since i covered the thunder that was also the day that james harden got traded i remember people just losing their minds in the student section that was early twitter for me where i was like starting like i didn't really tweet that much i just mainly was on it just to get news and i had woge on notification even back then and it was like james harden has been traded and i was like wow and then i think the next play was blake bell had tied it at 13 in the third quarter and then they throw like this play action 80 yard bomb and they get it down into the red zone it's like oh, okay well i guess this is all the fun's over now <laughs> yeah that's back when i really had no no uh idea about the nba I didn't really follow it but yeah everyone was talking about it and i was like i don't what's the big deal i don't get it <laughs> i don't understand <laughs> oh it's on. it's this this ou football game is a lot more important to me right now than some nba trade it's not going to have any ramifications i'm sure you know let's move forward it's a forgettable <laughs> trade uh something like that okay so let's set up this game the idea if you're listening at home right now if you're going to pull this game up and watch it with us great go for it although we do recommend that you've already watched it and kind of treat this like if you're a a movie buff and you watch a movie back and you want to listen to a podcast where guys talk about a movie and things like that treat it kind of like that i think that's the way we're going to treat this but uh, if you want to follow along, we're going to begin the video at 928, the 928 mark. And again, this is the 2013 OU Notre Dame game from L.A. Sooner on YouTube. And we put a link on the West of Evers Facebook page so you can go there and, and find it. And I suppose that's all I have. I mean, should we just jump right in? Yeah, we can do a 3-2-1 and start it, I suppose. I'm ready. All right, so we're going to push play in 3 2 one. Wow, what a beautiful-looking stadium there, fellas. And I like... I Guys... Like, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Brady. No, go ahead. I was no, going to say, like, obviously OU isn't on NBC Sports ever or frequently. Um, I like their HD. Like, I, I don't even know if there's really a difference between, like, HDs on Fox or ESPN, but I've always preferred Fox's HD quality. But NBC's just... Maybe it was just because it was during the day and the grass is natural, but, like, everything about this, and then you add on to it that there's OU jerseys on the field and Notre Dame jerseys on the field. But when I think of college football, I think of this. This is the exact conversation I was expecting on this podcast. I love it. I love it. I, I, could, not agree, I could not agree more with everything you just said. There's something about it that is just so quintessential college football, kind of like up there with the uh, with with the CBS theme, the you know the the CBS college football theme. Oh yeah. Just for whatever reason, it just is. It pops. It pops. I think also the graphics that NBC uses plays a big role. They just look very clean. It's the same graphics you see on Sunday Night Football. Yeah. For the most part, I believe that adds to the the presentation as well. It's crazy that Oklahoma played. At Notre Dame in South Bend, what in Bob Stoops' first season, and Oklahoma lost that game, and we were all pretty young. Brady, you're younger than than Grant and I, but do you have any memories of that game? Um, at the time, like I, I hate to pretend or I hate to sound like I'm a bandwagon OU fan, but um, I was eight, nine years old during the '99 season. Then I was nine and ten in 2000. I watched a handful of games in '99, one of them being Notre Dame. But I was a, I was eight years old, so all I cared about was just like playing yeah. with my Legos or going outside to go play football with my friends. But the thing I remember is just my dad screaming at the TV, going "Tackle, tackle, tackle him!" And I think it was Jarius Jackson was the quarterback that just I think he rushed for over 200 yards in that second half. I know you had no answer for him, but 
Uh, yeah, it was interesting. Oh, you didn't get a uh, uh, a home and home with Notre Dame, but I would assume at the time with Notre Dame or with OU being so bad in the '90s that they probably couldn't entice Notre Dame to come to Norman even at that time with sure. where the program was. How do you guys like Zach Sanchez making a real-life play on the ball as a corner on the very first play of the game? Uh, well, Mike hadn't been there long enough yet to coach it out of him. <laughs> Mike and uh, Kerry Cooks. No, like I, um, I was watching uh, the 2010 OU Nebraska Big 12 Championship game with Ryan Chapman. That, that'll come out at some point. Uh, last week, we were talking about Zach Sanchez, and I'm like, I, I had some pretty bad opinions about Zach Sanchez during his time at OU. But the one thing I will say, I mean, obviously he makes a play on the ball. He does catch footballs that are thrown directly to him, which I cannot say for some of the secondary players that have come through OU over the last few seasons, unfortunately. Yeah, it's become Sanchez, a lost start. Yeah, he definitely had a nose for the ball. Catching is hard. He was guys. a ball hawk. <laughs> I have no context for Zach Sanchez, guys, except for the fact that I know that he's kind of an undersized player but was considered to be pretty good back in that era. That's all I have. So this is going to be new for me. Boom. I absolutely <laughs> lost. What is happening? I absolutely just lost my crap on that play, sitting in my living room at home. And look, Eric Stryker almost rips off his helmet on this play, which you know would come back later on in the Sugar Bowl where he should have been flagged for ripping his helmet off after a sack. Uh, I'm so glad he wasn't flag. It's one of the best, one of the best moments in, oh, it, <laughs> like of the last decade. It ended up being a great moment, but like, yeah, this is awesome. Eric Stryker just doing what he does best, and then, like, Corey Nelson scores the touchdown off the interception, and like everybody kind of can. If you put your mindset back into the 2013 year, it's like, I wish Corey Nelson didn't get hurt. He was so good. He was so good that season. Yeah, this is his last. This is the last full game he plays, I believe, before he gets hurt. I think he gets hurt the next week against West Virginia. Yeah, it was a torn bicep and or against he, TCU. Sorry. And if not for Kenneth Murray's season, you know, like with Alex Grinch, this was probably Corey Nelson's probably the best linebacker since Curtis Lofton at OU. But you I, know, people are gonna like Kenneth Murray had a great season, so it's probably Kenneth Murray. But you can make an argument between Corey Nelson and or Kenneth Murray. I think I think that's a fair little argument. Does Stryker go in there at all? He's or is he kind of different? He's he's a defensive end. He's a jack. It's different. Yeah. yeah. So I have a confession to make. I had literally never seen that play, but I did go and watch the first couple of series of this game a couple of days ago just to kind of get an idea of how we're going to do this. So when I first watched it, I was incredibly surprised. And I got to admit, I did watch this next series as well. So I do I do know what's coming up, but it is very bizarre to see Oklahoma's defense. <laughs> uh, create havoc in a in an era when I guess I didn't really know that they did, or uh, maybe that's just my the recency bias when it comes to Mike Stoops, obviously because his last couple of seasons there were so poor. I know, poor now, Brady. Brady, do you remember that before this season, the big uh, the big story was that they were switching to the three four defense. You remember that, right? Yeah, yeah. And you know, the thing about it, like I was excited about it because. They had the talent to make it work. I mean, you look, look. Jordan Phillips is out there. Corey Nelson played in the league. Uh, Jordan Phillips still in the league. You got Eric Stryker, who you know didn't really make that much noise in the NFL, but we all know how great of a player he was at OU. Then you've got really good college football player. A lot of great secondary players. You got Colvin out there as a senior. Zach Sanchez, and you know he he's up and down, of course, but for the most part, a solid starter, a guy that you could depend on to basically do his job. There's a lot of talent on, on the field. So the 3-4 makes a lot of sense because you can make it work. It's just one of those things where 
all right, well, don't get stubborn. If you don't have the talent in the next few years, then maybe change up your philosophy a little bit. But that that's asking too much. Yeah, after that, uh, after that 2015 class kind of graduated after that Orange Bowl loss to Clemson, that was kind of the last group of guys I thought actually fit the 3-4. Yeah. Once Charles Tapper was gone, and I think Charles Walker was on that team too before he quit on the team the next season. Devontae Bond. Um, Devontae Bond was a good jack on the edge, yeah. But, yeah, since then they just haven't had the guys like with the physical makeup. and I'm, I'm, I'm glad they're not doing that crap anymore. Are Tapper and Grissom still in the league? I don't know. I think Grissom was more recently than Tapper was. Okay. But I'm not positive now. And, <laughs> and then there's Frank Shannon. I mean, this is a great play by Aaron Colvin. What a shocker. He went to the NFL. He's really how, good. How about this for a hot take? Here we go. Since uh, since since Tony Jefferson, I'd say Aaron Colvin is probably the best uh, DB the Sooners have had. In that time period, I will. I, I, I will agree with you. That's probably not even that hot of a take, is it? I, I yeah. will agree with you 100. percent Aaron Colvin was good the day he stepped onto the field. His first start was against Texas in 2010. Stud. He was awesome. That was the yeah. easiest read ever because Tommy Reese just <laughs> stared everybody down and he <laughs> broke on the ball. I mean, it's just good technique. Uh, he's he's being a gracious host right now. He's he's taking care of his uh, guests, which I'm all for. Right. That's. <laughs> So this is the first time we've seen Oklahoma's offense come out on the field. Granted, the game's a minute and ten seconds old. Ten personnel. Oh, Jalen, I miss Jalen Saunders so much. So he you comes out here, and almost every one of these snaps is side to side, horizontal. Is that something that we saw quite a bit of? Did they not stretch the field vertically a whole lot. I mean, with we'll Josh see the next three, and four, five snaps. With Josh Heupel and Trevor Knight and Blake Bell, you bet, man. <laughs> yeah. Well. I don't want to turn this into a Landry Jones argument, Grant, but um, you know, you go back at, like going back to watch a lot of Landry Jones era games. Like Landry had the arm to stretch the field. Like I'm not trying to argue against that, but there are a lot of like possessions where OU just basically throws sideways with Landry Landry Jones, and I'm just going like, you've got Ryan Broyles out there, you've got Kenny Stills out there, you've got all this, you got James Hanna out there, you've got all this talent, you've got a great offensive line. You've got DeMarco Murray back there uh, as an eye back. Why aren't you stretching the field more? And so just seeing like Lincoln Riley's offense, you know, in the last few years, comparing it to Josh Heupel's offense, I mean, it's it's night and day. Yeah, Heupel's, I think, was more of a kind of a traditional air raid. I, I would actually more compare it to a lot of what Kingsbury was trying to run at Texas Tech when he didn't have Patrick Mahomes um, because he wasn't able to stretch the field a lot. But... Yeah, I mean, I definitely see what you're saying. I just, I, I'm not sure if they, was Landry Jones actually even really that good at pushing the ball down the field? I can't really remember. Like, I don't think he was. I think his best play as a Sooner was that uh, deep ball uh, touchdown pass he threw to Kenny Stills on the road in Tallahassee. Because, like, oh, that was a great throw. Yeah, he went, he went yeah, through everything. True. He pump faked, he went through his progression, and then went right to Kenny Stills in single coverage. And it's like you take that battle 10 times out of 10. And then here comes what should have been the Super Bowl MVP most recently, Mr. Damian Williams, doing his thing. Yeah, I have no memories of Damian Williams at Oklahoma. And so when I was started watching this a couple of days ago, I'm like, oh, Dame, okay, touchdown Damian Williams. Uh, and that's quite a hot take that people would probably say, but I actually kind of agree with you because Pat Mahomes was pretty bad until the fourth quarter of that game. Granted, he was the reason why Kansas City came back and won the game, but I think there was a pretty good argument for Damian Williams. I'm one of those guys who thinks that 
it should pretty much always be the quarterback. So I'll let you guys kind of duke that one out. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, the quarterback's the most important position. I will. I mean, obviously, but but I also if a, you're just going to give it to argument. the quarterback, why even have the award? Yeah, I, I know. Here's where I'll make my OU analogy. So go back to the Baylor game this past season in the regular season. Would you say Jalen Saunders or Jalen Saunders? Jalen Hurts was the MVP of that game. The Baylor game? Yes, the the um, comeback. Hmm. Oh man, that's tough, man. Because I, I get, because, obviously yeah, I mean, we get where you're get where you're getting at. Because the re, the big reason why they were in the position was because of him. Yeah. But then he was also the a huge reason why that they were able to come back and win. Also. There's no such thing as giving just the entire defense the MVP, even though the defense is only on the field for what, like, it seemed like five minutes in the second half. I know Baylor was just Baylor's offense just didn't touch the touch the ball at all. But like my argument for like against Patrick Mahomes for the MVP, and it, it's silly. Like Damian Williams had he didn't have a phenomenal statistical game, but all of his runs were so important. And then the Chiefs were like kind of in a bad position because of Patrick Mahomes a lot of that game. Like a lot of bad passes, uh, just not pushing the ball downfield. He didn't look like normal Patrick Mahomes, but at the same time, he's in the Super Bowl playing against the best defense in the league. So he's going to look bad. But I just felt like Damian Williams was more of a positive impact than Patrick Mahomes in, in that game. Not as a player, but just in that game, Damian Williams was a tad bit more important. Yeah, he had a great game. It's a good argument. It, it and there's merit to it, but I mean, it, I guess I want to be consistent because yeah, it, he was the reason why they were able to play so well down the stretch. But yeah, he was off. I mean, it's pretty incredible that they were able to win a Super Bowl when he was he had one of his worst games maybe of the entire year. And I'm not a Chiefs fan, so I didn't watch every single snap. Wow, nice play by the way, Julian Wilson. But, so right now, okay, so I'm watching this game and I haven't seen any of this yet. So this is all brand new for me. Uh, OU wins this game by 50 points and they did they win the national championship this year because that's kind of what it looks like to me i gotta tell you man at this point in time of the season i was thinking to myself oh man oh you might be a sneaky national title team which of course in retrospect now is stupid but I, I this this was a good team this was a really good defense i this was a this was a defense that they definitely would have won a national championship with in 2017 to that eh, maybe not 2018 but definitely in 2017, maybe 2016, too. Well, I mean, obviously, Blake Bell doesn't finish off the season as quarterback. Like The season ends with the Sugar Bowl win against Alabama with Trevor Knight having his miracle game. I cannot. But, I still cannot believe that game. I, I don't think science will ever be able to prove it, actually. Uh, but science needs to figure out COVID-19 first, and then they can figure out the Sugar Bowl Trevor Knight experience. But um, <laughs> I, I'll just kind of like... I don't mean to keep hijacking the conversation, guys, but I, I, I'm just curious what you guys think because I respect y'all's opinion on Ooh. OU football. Josh Heupel play calling? I, I feel like Trevor Knight or Blake Bell could have been fine college quarterbacks if they had a play caller that chose to adapt their play calling to their talent, basically. But it seems like Josh Heupel's just like, no, I'm going to only run a Landry Jones offense with either Trevor Knight or Blake Bell because that's what I do. And it's like... Blake and Trevor are not Landry Jones. They are not throwing the football 40 times a game. Like you, If you ask them to throw it 20, 25 times a game and then run 10 or 15 times a game, I think they could have been fine all-conference level quarterbacks because of the talent around them. If you're saying that, I mean, yeah, I mean, if, if Blake Bell and Trevor Knight would have had Lincoln Riley as a play caller and as an offensive coordinator for their careers, the chances they would have been able to put up numbers like, say, Jalen Hurts this year, 
I, I could buy that, probably. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I think that was mostly the knock on Hypo when he was there, and I think that's probably why they made the decision in the end, or that's why Stoops made the decision in the end. Because you remember in 2014, right, that they, like, uh, the second half of that season, OU was just, I mean, they, they were running it probably, it was like an 80-20 run-pass split. And I got to think a lot of that was Stoops probably just telling Hypo to keep the ball on the ground. Because otherwise, why would you why would you run the ball that much? Yeah, I mean, again, it's just I, I just feel like somebody wasn't on the same page. Whether it was just a team philosophy, a team identity. Because when I try to think of the identity of the of the Oklahoma Sooners after Landry Jones left until Lincoln Riley got here, I kind of grasp at straws. It's like, well, there's a lot of unquestioned talent on the field on these rosters, even in 2014 when they were an awful team. There's a lot of talent out there. And it seems like they should go this direction, but they don't. And it's either Josh Heupel's inexperience as a play caller, it's either Bob Stoops' philosophy that overrides what Josh Heupel may or may not have wanted to do. Like, it, There's a lot of questions from this era of OU football that you know, a lot of the negatives that came from it, OU is still dealing with in the short term right now and even a little bit in the long term because they fell off so much uh, in terms of their recruiting and Lincoln Riley's trying to build it back up. Yeah, this is definitely a topic for you you guys because I just did not watch enough Oklahoma football in that era to really have a an intelligent take on the Josh Heupel play-calling era. I will say this, when it comes to Trevor Knight, I did see all of his games when he was at Texas A&M since I was covering the Aggies when Trevor Knight transferred over there. And Kevin Sumlin and Noel Mazzoni, as play-callers, basically – couldn't do much more with Trevor Knight than what Oklahoma did. I mean, you look at his numbers, and he that that one year at A&M, Trevor Knight completed 53% of his passes and had 19 touchdowns and seven picks. So I, he was fine at A&M, but also now that I look back at the numbers, boy, I he was not good there really either. So I, I think he just kind of was what he was, and obviously that Sugar Bowl was just the biggest anomaly slash outlier in – one of the biggest ones in college football history. Can I see Jazz Reynolds over the middle there? There's so much talent on th in this receiving core. you got Jalen Saunders, Joe Shepard, Jazz Reynolds, LeColton Bester, who was a bust until the final two games of the season this in 2013. I love LeColton Bester, man. I was hoping, I was hoping once uh, we were going to get to him at some point in time with Lee because I wanted to kind of tease Lee with him. Lee, do you have any idea who LeColton Bester is? I know the name. I heard the name. I mean... I mean, I'm familiar with some of the players. I just this was the era where I was busy. I was working in uh, in 2013. I was working in Bemidji, Minnesota, and I had to cover Division II football on Saturdays. So I missed a lot of OU games. I had to cover a, a D2 team, and so and the same thing happened when I went to College Station to cover A&M. I watched a bunch of Aggies games, so it just kind of took me away from Oklahoma. And so that's why it's really cool that I'm back now in Oklahoma City and I cover Oklahoma, and so I don't miss a game, and that's neat. But no, I, I know the name Bester, but I, I couldn't tell you, you know, I think I knew he was a receiver, but I couldn't tell you anything more about him. I suppose this is as good as time as any. Brady, we're going to try to start this new bit where if we have a, I don't know, if, if this goes well, we may have more people on. And, and every single time I'm going to ask him a series of questions. Yep. And so because I brought up LeColton Bester, who is, uh, in, in my, you know, OU fandom, is probably my favorite obscure OU football player of all time. And so I want to know oh. who your favorite obscure OU football player is. You don't gotta you don't gotta say it right now, but quick, uh, but that, just uh, just kind of chew on it a little bit. Okay, yeah, I'll think about it. That, 
I, I got it. I cannot. I can't not comment on that third down pass. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. That was. Uh, I mean, that's Blake Bell's. I mean, he's not a passer. <laughs> he's. I mean, not a <laughs> consistent passer. I mean, Brady, goodness, is that, that the? Uh, is is that the pass that he hits to win uh, to win Bedlam? I think it might. be. I think so. Yeah, I think it's the same that's route. The exact. The exact same route that he just puts on a dime to win Bedlam. Well, see, Lee, he he learns from his mistakes. So I mean, good good for him, right? Was that Bedlam later in 2013, or is that a different year? Yeah, it's 2013. Okay. Yeah, OU loses to uh, – they get destroyed by Baylor and Waco, and then they lose to Texas, right, in 2013. Also also kind of got destroyed by Texas, too. Yeah. Oh, they got embarrassed by Texas. And Case McCoy. I'm glad I missed that one. That sounds horrible. That was the first OU, yeah, te- was, first OU Texas game I ever went to. Yeah, I was at that game, too. Ooh. Yikes. You know, the first Thankfully, OU Texas yeah. game Grant and I ever went to was the 08 game. Colt McCoy versus Sam Bradford. Bad result. The classic. But amazing game, I'm sure. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, that was the uh that was definitely that was the best college football game I had been to, like in terms of quality of game until uh until the Rose Bowl uh, a few years ago. I'm still screaming about uh Travis Lewis getting unfairly flagged for uh Colt McCoy falling down out of bounds. Not once, but twice. Twice. He got flagged for and it. And then DeMario Pleasant's interception <laughs> that didn't get reviewed or Oh my gosh. That would have just oh, won- yeah. that would have ended up winning the game for OU and it was clearly an interception and I yeah. So those those three They didn't things. even review it. They didn't even review it. I know Bob didn't call timeout. No. And my favorite, you go back and watch the Jordan Shipley kickoff return touchdown and there's about five or six obvious holds that just were never called <laughs> it's just like my dad whenever he sees the uh, johnny <laughs> the johnny rogers punt return for a touchdown OU nebraska game of the century he'll just watch it and go clip 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 <laughs> <laughs> that's funny sure tackling you know you, you like it they're gonna make some plays but sure tackling all right so it's 14 nothing Sooners right now. We're just under nine to go first quarter. And I got to wonder, is so does Tommy Reese play this entire game for Notre Dame? Because he is so bad. He I mean, doesn't, he bad actually. Player. I'm pretty sure oh, they, have okay. a, they have a – or he, he plays a vast majority of it. But they have a running specialist, I believe, who comes in in certain situations at times. Well, just as a wildcat? Yeah, it's, it's, def- it's definitely a wildcat-type situation. Yeah, because the scariest guy on their offense was uh, was it George Atkinson, that running back, number four. Just fast yep. as hell. And speaking of this offense, I was actually I was kind of scrambling to do some research before we started. But listen to this. This offense for Notre Dame legitimately has, let's see here, one, two, three, four. They had five NFL draft picks that started for them in this game on offense. Uh, their left tackle is Zach Martin, 16th overall pick of the Cowboys in 2014. Uh, their right tackle is Ronnie Stanley, the sixth overall pick of the Ravens in 2016. Uh, starting receiver T.J. Jones was a sixth-round pick later this year. The Lions, their tight end Troy Nicholas was a second-round pick of the Patriots. And Will Fuller also started in this game, who went on. Uh, he was the 21st overall pick for Houston. And they were just, what, eight months removed from playing and getting destroyed by Alabama in the national championship. So Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. So I All think, right, so yeah. their their offense is kind of starting to get something going a little bit. Oh no, see, yeah, because Tommy Reese is out. <laughs> no, was it was what happened to Everett Golston? Was he like academically ineligible or something, or did he get hurt in the off season? Because he was a fresh he was a freshman starter the year prior, wasn't he? 
chance to kind of well, I know he he transferred to Florida State, but I think that was as a grad transfer. So yeah, you're right because he was a he was a redshirt freshman, I think. Yeah, because the, uh, the, na the national championship year. Yeah, I, me I remember being worried that he was going to potentially break Jamel Holloway's. It's not really a record, but at the time, the only freshman quarterback to win a national title, which um, what's-his-face broke at Clemson two, two seasons ago. Trevor Lawrence. Uh, well, oh, yeah, true freshman. Yeah. Well, cause didn't, yeah, in yeah, 2012, cause, cause Golson Winston was, won. yeah, he was their starter, and then he... he I, he missed this entire year. Did, was he injured? I think, Did he I get think, injured or something? I think he got Academic suspension. Yeah, I think he got in trouble. Oh, that's what you said. Okay. Good call. Yeah, it's on Wikipedia. It's an entire like sub-page of his page, his academic suspension of 2013. Oh, is this Christ? Is that the quarterback? I think it's... No, I think his name is Tommy Hendricks. I was kind of going through the play-by-play -play a little Andrew bit before Hendricks. we went on. Andrew Hendricks. Andrew Hendricks, okay. Well, thank God it's not Jimmy, or oh, you would stand no chance. And according to the box score, that's the only pass he attempts all game. So they uh, they'd seen enough of him, and they're like, "Oh, we got we got to go back to Tommy for good reason." Yes, I'm. I was pro like I'm watching this with, of course, like my some family and some friends, and I'm pretty sure at the time we're screaming, "Oh God, here comes a backup quarterback with Mike Stoops!" Oh no, oh no, we're going to get destroyed now. Wait, so that was a thing all the way back in 2013 as well? It was a thing all the way back to 2002 when Reggie McNeil walked off the bench and just torched OU for like four touchdowns in College Station. Man, I had yep. put that game out of my mind. Which was until the Johnny Manziel year, Texas A&M's one shining moment over the last 30 years probably. <laughs> you remember that, Art? That remember that Reggie McNeil when he beat them Sooners? That's probably what they sound like. See, that's – I don't – I would say 2002 is probably the season I have the the least memory about, and I don't really know why. It's probably Woo. because there weren't like a ton of uh, ton of big wins during the regular season. I know the Rose Bowl was cool, but they they beat Washington State, which was kind of anticlimactic. I like I have a soft spot for the O2 team just because that was the year that um, like after Mark Mangino had left and gone to Kansas, and then Chuck Long took over play calling, and Chuck Long's a flawed play caller, but he understood that he had Quentin Griffin, and he used the heck out of Quentin Griffin and just the OU Texas game from 2002 is bonkers because Nate Hibble yeah that game's great I don't think Nate Hibble throws a touchdown he throws four interceptions and OU still wins pretty much going away and okay Notre Dame looks like big run but yet mm, okay this looks like a like an old schoolish Oklahoma defense that I I'm kind of I kind of figured I'd be watching in this game granted I knew Oklahoma won the game but uh, I didn't know what the defense would look like. Jeez. Just a lot of good talent, and Mike Stoops allowing them, for the most part, to be aggressive. And a lot of it just kind of goes down to, like, Eric Stryker because Eric Stryker's not the best player on this defense, and I would probably hesitate to say that he's – I don't think at that point he was the leader. I think he he stepped in more of a leadership role once he got older, and like on the Orange Bowl team in 2015. Uh, but he's – probably the flashiest player on this defense and it it seemed like that that really it really trickled down to everybody else because the talent was allowed to be aggressive and then as Mike Stoops's tenure went on and on and on that aggression just went away hmm. was this the first year he was back no 2012 second year second year he's back okay so I was trying to remember at, at what point because I know Grant you and I on the podcast I guess probably, I mean, definitely months ago, if not years ago. I guess it would have been after Stoops got fired. I mean, we went over all the years he he was back at Oklahoma. And was it, I think we determined there was two seasons where the Oklahoma defense was 
was solid. And I think was was it 2013 and 2015? 2013 and 2015. It was. Uh, they finished. They were pretty good. Yeah, they finished 15th in SP defense in 2015. Or I'm sorry, in 2013, and they were 17th in 2015. I looked it up. 20, uh, t- 2013. This defense. This was this was Mike Stoops' best defense at OU per SP plus, um, and this was also uh, outside of 2011. This was the best defense of the past decade for OU. Hmm. I'll die on the hill that the 2015 defense, while talented, um, Mike Stoops' fingerprints were on it too much, and all their sexy numbers. I've never put that much stock into them. Notre Dame just scored. Um, backup quarterbacks. Backup quarterbacks. Anytime they played somebody that was of equal talent, that was, you know, equal or just a little bit better, and they were healthy, the defense got just straight run. Yeah, you're not wrong. And they also that they just really didn't play, you know, a murderer's row that season of a schedule either. Especially like. They they were going to in November, but like you said, I mean all the all the backup quarterbacks. They yeah. TCU, Baylor, and Oklahoma State. They you know got to play with a you know with a, with an arm behind their back. We're close to to jumping ahead here, guys. We're actually jumping ahead uh, at thirty seven oh nine. We are going to stop and jump ahead to forty seven minutes and twelve seconds of the video. Okay, well, let's see. Let's jump ahead right now, and we'll get to 47-12, and then once we're all set, we will all push play again. How does that sound? Sounds good to me. All Sounds right, good to so me. I'm going to pause and go to 47-12. Boy, this is, this is what people come to podcast for. <laughs> we're all learning as we go stuff. along with the lockdown. Come on now. It, re- it really is. It really is. All right, so I have my, I have my video paused right now at 47-12. I mean, what are what are people gonna do? Go attend a sporting event? Come on, Lee. Come on now. They're stuck. They're, <laughs> Go they're to a bar. They're stuck listening to us. <laughs> While uh, we're kind of waiting to push play again, I think it's time for you to talk about who is your most uh, memorable, like obscure OU player, whatever the prompt that Grant gave you a while back. Mm. I'm still I'm still kind of thinking about it. I want to point to. He's not even obscure, but Demond Parker. He's not obscure because people, whenever they think of the 90s, they're like, oh, yeah, that DeMond Parker, he was the one bright spot mm-hmm, of the 90s. Mm-hmm. But, gosh, he was so fun to watch. And His highlight tape is pretty disgusting. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> and I actually, I'm working on something right now, and I've had to go back and look, look at some 98, unfortunately, tape and some 99 stuff as well. Um I didn't realize that he was 716 yards shy of breaking Billy Sims's rushing record. If he had just simply, you know, come back his senior year, he would have destroyed that number. Like Samaje obviously broke it in three seasons. Billy did a lot of his damage in two and a half seasons. Um, so it's it's that much more impressive. Demond would have done it in four. Uh, but considering how bad OU was during his tenure, I don't think anyone would hold it against him. But yeah, he Demond would have put it at a mark that Samaje wouldn't have been able to sniff in his three years at OU. Yeah, it'd have been cool to see him in not such a sunken generation of OU football. Yeah, I, I'm ready to go. By the way, guys. All right, let's push play in three, two, one. Oh, stadium still looks great. <laughs> All right, and so just to recap everybody of what you missed if you skipped ahead with us, you didn't miss much. OU went uh, went four plays and out on their next drive after Notre Dame scored. 
Damian Williams had a 19-yard run. That was the only highlight, and then they went three and out. And then we pick back up on Notre Dame's next drive. They are uh, they are driving currently. They have the ball at OU's 46, as you can see. Beginning of the second quarter. So 14-7 the score after one quarter. And uh, so Notre Dame's clearly settled in a little bit after looking like a peewee football team for the first two to three minutes of the game. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Like, when you guys are watching this game, you know, OU Notre Dame, are, are you at all thinking about, God, OU's played them nine times and beaten them once. Like, if, OU, if you're an OU fan and you see them beat Notre Dame, like, that's, that's something you're always, always going to remember. And who cares how bad Notre Dame ended up being this season? I mean, they were average. They weren't terrible. They weren't anything to write home about. They were like 8-4, and four, I think. Yeah, but it's like good OU teams historically have lost two bad Notre Dame teams. The 47-game winning streak was snapped by a bad Notre Dame team. So, um, hmm. th- like, so much was riding on this game. I didn't really think OU was going to be a national title contender in 2013 um, up until the Texas game when I started drinking the Kool-Aid. But, you know, just seeing this, watching this game live at the time, I was, I was just, all I was thinking about was just the history of what, like, all the the magnitude of this game, even though it's not a big, highly ranked game, it's like this is this is huge if you're an OU fan. I don't know if I was thinking exactly in those terms, but I definitely felt the gravity of the game. Yeah, I mean it was a it, it was a huge game, and in retrospect, as you, when you say it now, I mean I I really remember this game. I mean this is an insanely memorable game. I, I've just watching it now. It's just I I have visceral memories of watching it live, and so it's just. This, this is a special game. I'm never going to forget this one, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to watch it back. <laughs> no, it's, it's a, well, that was a nice play by Corey Nelson. Just a, aggressive talent. Sorry, Dad. Aggressive talent. Okay. Yeah, that's that, that's that Hendricks talent. guy. Talent aggressive. I think that might actually be the last time we see that Hendricks guy and them trying that Wildcat stuff. Oh, so he wasn't technically a quarterback? He was a different position player they were doing Wildcat with? No, he was definitely a quarterback, but they... They never really tried to throw it with him too much. It didn't look gotcha. like, at least. See, I, I mean, oh yeah, we're doing that. Like, I know Oklahoma wins this game, and yeah, they're doing the tail of the tape. Let's see. We're doing that thing where we're like, this is an NBC program. It's a Notre Dame channel. We're going to claim the eleven national titles that you know four of them don't actually hold any water. <laughs> That's actually kind of one of that's a bit of an annoyance for me, and I know this is this is super eggheadery type stuff, talking about how you count national championships. But Brady, how do you actually count a national championship? What counts? Um, isn't it what the NCAA recognizes? I think that's, yeah, I, I that's think what so. that's what OU goes by because I remember reading some article that if OU applied the Alabama Notre Dame philosophy to claiming national titles, they would have. This was back in the like 2008 2009 era so obviously Alabama's won a ton of championships since then but OU would be leading at the time like six with 16 national titles because somebody voted them look it up somebody voted OU national champion in 2003 after they lose to Kansas State and LSU I, I don't know who it was but somebody claim or claim or uh, picked them to be national champions and I think it was a computer if I remember correctly okay but well, rest assured, if that was Alabama or Notre Dame and the same thing happened to them, they'd claim it. They'd put it up on their little banner and uh, be proud of it. 
See, I see that's a, I remember that talking point about uh, about how you know if, if if we claimed it the same way as Notre Dame and Alabama, we'd have a lot too. But I've never really actually like vetted that. I've never actually looked it up to see how it, because I, I've just I've I've always thought to myself, man, if OU could could legitimately claim like another nine national titles, why don't they do it? <laughs> I know you can just pull like the um, like this was kind of cheesy, but it's not that big of a deal. But like Texas. They in their like in their equivalent of their Switzer Center, you know, they they obviously won one BCS era championship, so they had one Sears Trophy, but they had that was their fifth national title as a program, is their fourth or their fifth. So they ordered so they ordered five BCS trophies just to have, and it's like the BCS didn't exist until 1998 or whatever. Why do you have five of these? Dude, Oklahoma State did the exact same thing for that one they claimed from the 30s, right? Or whatever year it was. No, they, they stole it from, ask any college football historian, who are the top five teams of the past, like of all time? They will all say the 45 Army team. And not only did that team just kill everybody, well, the actual U.S. Army was b- too busy winning World War II, and so Oklahoma State's like, yeah, we're going to take that anyway. Thank you. <laughs> Clown. You kind of—I mean—do you, do you kind of have to respect the hustle a little bit? Can I say that on an OU football podcast? I mean, like, I don't—I don't—I mean, it's—it's it's clearly like silly, but you kind of have to respect them saying, "Screw it, man, we're just going to do it. Who cares?" <laughs> Lee, <laughs> I know you've got to be a little bit uh, of the unbiased um, guy on the. On I really the- am. I—I I, I got maybe a, a bit of a controversial opinion on this stuff honestly this discussion I, I don't have really a whole lot of thoughts at all I, it doesn't really do much for me because it's just you know it's a long time ago man <laughs> history is important it is important history but, uh, is why college football is fun you know what it is though i think it's it's the ncaa and how there's not really the fact that it took that long to get to the point where there actually was a BCS, for instance, and yep. they had a national title game, and then now it took us this long to get to a, and I'm using air quotes, a playoff, which it's not even really, really a playoff. It's just an invitation or team thing. Yeah, I mean, it's just, oh, it's a plus one that people talked about all the time during the BCS era. Uh, so it's just, I'm more just annoyed at the fact that the NCAA for all these years didn't care enough about actually having a, a real champion. And it just bothers me that, I mean, I'm sure there's people years and years and years ago that probably didn't like it or complained about it but nothing changed until the late 90s and then finally a bcs came along it's just bizarre that yeah all this time has gone by and there all these years and it was okay to just vote on a national champion what a what is this like figure skating well, or you know i'm gl- some sort of like i'm yeah. glad you brought that up because i don't know like there's something that seems and this was obviously well before our time but so back in the 80s and the 70s but you know, every conference had their bowl tie-in, so they the conference champion would be sent to Miami or New Orleans or wherever. And according to how the rankings were, when the bowl games would start on January first, okay, well Texas lost in the Cotton Bowl, so OU all you got to do is beat Arkansas in the 1978 Orange Bowl, and you're the national champion. I don't know about you guys, it's a flawed system, but that would be so much fun. Like if you just woke up one day and all the big bowl games were on that day. And your team was ranked number three, and it's like you've got to watch the Fiesta Bowl and hope to God that the number one ranked team lo- or the the number one ranked team loses to the number five ranked team in that bowl matchup, because then that sets the stage for you to potentially win a national championship. That to me is just that sounds exciting. 
Brady, have you heard the gospel of Lee's 2014 playoff idea? Because if you haven't, you're about to, for sure. Did he say it on a podcast? I'm <laughs> I probably have once or twice. It's funny that you mentioned that scenario because obviously that's what used to happen. And we had some some listeners email us and talk about how they they love that aspect of college football, that New Year's Day, all the big bowl games and just that setup. And obviously I don't have any memory. I don't know what that was like. And, yeah, it does sound like a cool day, but it's it's just the one day. Everything leads up to that. And, uh, you know, I suppose it's one of those things where I don't know what it's like personally. So maybe if I actually experienced it, went through an entire college football season, led up to that scenario, and then – went through that day maybe i'd have a different opinion on it but uh, on the surface it it still doesn't sound better than having just a regular playoff and a bigger playoff is what i would like to have because fcs does it and it seems to work for them just fine but i know there's a lot of differences between fcs and division one but uh oh you mean like money I, <laughs> exactly I mean, that's what it boils down to no, this was the I and and I I talked about it on the podcast a little bit this year, but this was the first year that I kind of started to I started to really understand the argument of the people who were who who started to say that um, the old way was the better way, and it came because the playoff talk this season drove me insane, and like to the point where it wasn't even enjoyable. It's it's and oh, go ahead, go ahead, Grant. No, I I don't have anything else to add. I was just going to emphasize. It's because it's so inconsistent. It like. Again, like I, I've asked this question a zillion times on my podcast. I'll, I'll ask a stranger the next time that we don't have to social distance. How is a Power 5 team undefeated in mid-November and not in the top 10? I'm talking about Baylor before OU came back and beat them in Waco. That is asinine. They weren't in the top 10 because the committee had an un, like they just had a bad opinion of them. At that point, it's like that sets a precedent for Okay, well, we just think that this team is better. We think that that team is better. Why are we playing the games if that's the case? This team has more five stars. This team has more NFL talent. Let's not get these kids hurt if that's going to be the way that you're going to rank teams accordingly and just not care one thing about what's going on on the field. It's like, yeah, I don't like Baylor's non-conference schedule either, but ask OU, how, how easy is it to go undefeated? Even with a soft schedule, it's hard. And when, once you get that far into a season, I feel like that needs to be rewarded, and it wasn't rewarded last year. And, like, I agree with you, Grant. It's just it makes me more angry, and I think ESPN and the powers that be think that fan anger equals or, or people are talking. It's like, no, they're going to get fed up. Fans are going to get fed up with this system if this just keeps going. Yeah, I think I think a lot of it, too, a lot of the frustration comes from it. The, the criteria does seem arbitrary, right? They kind of pick and choose what criteria they, they want to use for each team, and it's not consistent across the board. So I think, yeah, one of the better examples, um, uh, who was it? Because, yeah, they, they, weren't, they weren't really respectful of Baylor last year at all, but they were completely ignoring someone else who also had a massive flaw in their resume. I mean, you can that's, that's basically every single year now, but you, you get the picture. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of rinse and repeat now, it feels like, every year, and it's... I don't know. I don't have a lot of fun with it, and I, I, I kind of feel like the the debate is part of the fun of college football during the season. And when it turns, um, when it's not fun anymore, and it just gets too annoying and inconsistent. Yeah. I don't know. I, I was trying to figure out: is that more of like a personal thing for me, or is is everyone else feeling that too? Or I don't know. It's weird. Uh, this sounds. This might sound weird, but if they could just replace the humans with the computers and just keep the same, like they can keep it at four even though that I don't like it at just four, 
But if they just had the computers, that would be great because you'd have the healthy debate. You've had all you have all the the talk show, radio, TV, like get all their stuff in. But there would be a consistent criteria that we could all understand and follow. By the time like 2005 rolled around, I understood the BCS. They would make tweaks to it every single year, but I understood this team lost. That means OU needs to win this game, and they'll jump into the top five, more than likely. And I I liked being comfortable. I, I guess what I'm saying is I'm old and I don't like change. Oh my god, I hate change. It's the worst. I'm almost I'm almost 30, and it's terrible. Or we could just have a. Just a crazy switch and get rid of these stupid conference championship games. And we could just do exactly what the FCS does and let conference champions get an automatic. They do a playoff, then you have 14 at-large teams, and you give eight teams a bye, and you have a 24-team playoff, and it would be the coolest thing in the history of college football, and everybody would buy in and think it was the, the it's gonna best be, like, three to four weeks or whatever it would take. It's going to be pretty hard to have a, uh, a 24-team tournament with 22 teams. I, I, or what did I, I? I would probably say however many uh, automatic bids, <laughs> and then they, they fill in the blanks. I'm just, I'm just giving don't, you crap. Don't math shame me on this podcast. That's not cool. Like with expanding the playoff, I, I think where I kind of get a little hesitant to go more than six, because there's five Power Five conferences, and then maybe like you can throw in a, a group of five champion just to shut them up. Say like, look, you had, you have a chance. Okay, cool. But mainly, it's just think of any national champion. Think of any season, and whoever that national champion winner is, will then compare them to the the team that ended up being seventh in the country that year. It is a steep drop off. So, like expanding it to eight, I'm just like, I don't really know if I want to see like an eighth seeded team upset the number one seeded team because the number one seeded team just had a bad day, and then the eight seeded team just goes off and gets beat the next the next game. You know, so but. Yeah, but couldn't that couldn't that logic apply to basically any playoff system, right? You know, I mean, you can, that that can apply to the NFL too. That can apply to the NBA. Eh, that's a seven game series, so no, it's no case. Like, but not not in a different sport. Like obviously basketball, March Madness. It's fun to watch, you know, lower seeded teams upset higher seeded teams. With the NFL, because the regular season doesn't matter as much in terms of oh my god we lost a game our season's over it's like no you can lose five or six and make the playoffs and then make a run you know that it, it's i think because so much rides on the regular season of college football uh which probably makes it one of the more enjoyable sports in the country to a lot of people i think because so much rides on the regular season you have a better understanding of who your top contenders are by the end of that season if that makes sense no, it totally makes sense, and I'm I'm sympathetic to the argument for sure. Um, I do have this theory though that if you were to just for the sake of argument, if you were to introduce, let's say, like Lee's 2014 playoff idea, I do have this theory that you would probably have an influx of interest from the other schools, the other programs. So, like for instance, I'm um, I don't know if using if, if using Minnesota is a good example, uh, but we could use like someone like Oklahoma State as a program as an example. Um, let's say uh, going into Bedlam this year, Oklahoma State still had a realistic chance of getting into the college football playoff. Wouldn't that have made that game just that much more important? Wouldn't have gotten much more eyeballs on there? Would have? It would have been just as important for Oklahoma in terms of seeding and whatnot and, and of winning the Big 12, presumably. And it also would have been just as important for Oklahoma State. Otherwise, that game for Oklahoma State meant nothing other than your typical 
rivalry game, which in college football, of course, is everything for a lot of people. Um, it's just an idea. I don't know. I have a theory that once it w- once it, it once it uh, would be introduced, people would probably think it's awesome, just because it's more football. <laughs> which I'm all yeah. That's my feeling I'm too. All for. Well, I, I'm all for more teams being in the mix later in the year because college football. Let me tell you, covering Texas A&M for two seasons when they would perpetually go eight and five, you get to the end of that year, those, some of those games. I mean, it's just like, what are we doing here? What's the point? Ooh, Julian Wilson. Julian Wilson. Nice. Yeah. Well, well, I, uh, Julian Wilson's just. Oh a, yeah, he's the a big dude. We're trying to so- <laughs> we're trying to solve college football's problems. <laughs> I'm now realizing that we're rewatching this game that it's not the necessarily the I, I the greatest it. example of uh, of high quality college football. Oh boy. Sure is pretty though. The setting is so pretty. You know, whenever we skipped ahead, Grant, it seems like you could have probably skipped ahead even more. <laughs> Skip ahead even more. I don't know. No, it gave us a chance have to talk about much? the uh, playoffs. Well, no, I, I wanted to. I wanted you, people. We need to give you a chance to. Okay, I guess you went with Demond Parker. Never mind. Okay, let's do a different prompt. Okay, so similar to your most memorable, your favorite kind of obscure OU player. Let's see. This must be probably a little more difficult, but I think this is kind of a fun question. Actually, no. Hold on. Let's table that one. I'll do a different one. It's easier for you, Brady. So. What is your first OU-related sporting event that you recall either going to or watching? It doesn't have to be football. It's just whatever was the most memorable to you. Like, what's the first thing that kind of got you into Oklahoma sports, I guess? Oh, oh, that's easy, actually. So, like, I watched a handful of games in 99, but it wasn't it, it wasn't the life-or-death situation that it unfortunately became with, with me. Um, <laughs> I think it's probably the 2000 Kansas State game in Manhattan. Just because I was at a birthday party uh, for my friend, and again, I'm like nine, or this was this was after the OU Texas game, so I'd already turned ten. So every five years, my birthday is on the day of OU Texas. That's kind of a little weird thing about me. Um, so yeah, I turn. Congratulations. I'd, sometimes it's a good birthday, other times it sucks. Uh, I was ten. And I was at a birthday party, so I'm just there to like hang out with my friends. Well, all the parents, the, all the dads, are watching the OU Kansas State game. And I had an OU hat on. And, I'm, you know, again, I'm just trying to go play, like, video games with my friends. And then, like, all the dads are, like, kind of, like, wow, Oklahoma's, like, really good this year. And I kind of, like, yeah, yeah, they are good. And I started, like, taking some pride <laughs> in it. And I left my friend's room and just watched the game with all the other adults. And then OU jumps out to, like, a 31-14. You know, they just blow that game wide open. And then Kansas State slowly comes back, and it turns into an exciting game. And... I started to feel anxiety. I started to feel like, oh, no. Oh, no, they're going to blow this. And that was the first moment where it kind of became like, all right, this is this is a part of me. And from that moment on, I was I was never healthy again. <laughs> man, that, uh, that game, man, I, I actually went back to the archives like a year or two ago and just watching replays and highlights of that game again. Man, the atmosphere that day in Manhattan had to have just been insane. It was game day. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and just yeah, I, the talent Kansas State had. Uh-oh, Grant, you're breaking out. Uh-oh. You're breaking up. Am I break- oh, am I breaking I know, up? Right? Yeah, you're talking about the talent Kansas State had? 
Yeah, unfortunately, Grant's breaking up uh, right during a, a solid burning clay run. Uh, yeah, the talent with Kansas State, it wasn't necessarily that they had like elite talent, but the talent that they had, like Snyder was so aggressive with it. Like you watch those early 2000s Kansas State squads, and all you see are just linebackers just running straight through empty holes and blitzing the hell out of the opposing quarterback, and it's it's really fun to watch. You back, Grant? Oh, yeah, can you guys hear me? No, you, now you sound yep. perfect. Oh weird, yeah. I don't. I I would. I didn't even say anything. You guys, you guys cut out for me. So classic. It doesn't matter. Oh, whatever. Classic on air production meeting. Classic quarantine uh, podcasting. It's classic. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so, so uh, I I, I was going to talk about my first OU related like sporting event. I, I not sure if I told the story on the podcast ever, but uh, it would have been 1995. Either 95 or 96. Brady, you would know this. Maybe Grant, you do too. When did the John Blake era begin? 96. Was that, that was 96? Yeah. So it would have been 95, the one season of Howard Schnellenberger. And I remember Dad getting ready to go to the game, and he was going to go with a buddy of his. And I was just, let's see, what I would have been, what, eight years old? <laughs> I remember hearing they were going to go to this football game and just being the biggest annoying little kid like I started crying begging to go just like the worst thing ever I bet every parent would probably think that's the most annoying thing ever but it worked and uh, he ended up taking me to the game and so my first game was uh, OU versus Kansas oh no and I remember yeah oh no. I remember uh, my dad's friend had binoculars and we were like looking down at the sidelines and looking at Schnellenberger but yeah I believe that was the last time Oklahoma lost to Kansas or at least maybe they lost to Kansas in the John Blake area they probably did but uh, one of the few times OU lost to Kansas, that was that night. I'm not sure what month it was, but uh, randomly. I remember asking my dad, or asking dad, what does first and ten mean? <laughs> Didn't know anything about football. And from that moment on. No, like, and I still am trying to figure it out. I was, um, so yeah. here's how nerdy I am. I was reading some Kansas blog last season before the OU Kansas game. Not the uh, not the Jalen Hurts here last season, but the Kyler's, Kyler Murray season. So I was just like Googling stuff, and then I kind of stumbled upon this Kansas blog. I can't remember what it was. I can't remember if it was SB Nation or whatever it was. Um, but they were ranking the top five Kansas Jayhawk football wins um, over the last, you know, X amount of years. And, of course, like the Orange Bowl win against Virginia Tech was up there. Uh, the win against Texas was up there. And then the third game that they had to pull from – was the 95-0 Kansas game in Norman because I, that Kansas team I, was kind of good. I think they won eight or nine games that year, and uh, that was, of course, after OU lost their first game to Colorado, and then the wheels literally fell off with OU. So uh, good job, Kansas. I'm yeah, legitimately believe, surprised uh, that entire Glenn list. Glenn Mason was the head coach at Kansas that year. I think Glenn Mason was their head coach. Ooh, good call. Yeah, that's right. Glenn Mason is on a – Glenn Mason is going on to Minnesota and was – Glenn Mason is on a lot of uh, local radio here, and he talks about his time at Kansas quite a bit, actually. He talks about <laughs> it uh, fondly. It's kind of funny. Um, no, I, yeah, that, that list that you brought up, Brady, I'm surprised that entire list of Kansas wins didn't, wasn't exclusively from the 2007 season. <laughs> like, possible. I just remember that. I remember that season just being complete bliss for KU football fans. Possibly. All like oh, seven yeah. that, of them. That team was good, man. Todd Reesing was fun. Possibly their best win that season, other than the Orange Bowl, was not playing OU or Texas that year. <laughs> we don't get them on the schedule. Let's do it now. 
This is the time. Ooh, Blake Bell under center in the play action. What's Josh Heupel thinking? All right. Look at him I survey the field and I specifically find remember. I specifically remember in this game, because kind of like in this era, this is when Alabama had been dominating, just like going under center and imposing their will on people. And of course, you know, it's a copycat type league. I'm thinking, ah, that's what they need to do. They're better. This is before I knew anything about football. I remember specifically in this point in time when he got under center being pumped. Like, yeah, finally, they're doing it. <laughs> and I think they gained like six yards or whatever it was. I don't even know what it was. They converted a first Here down. Here we go, LeColton Bester. My boy. Oh, wow. Yeah, Blake Bell throws that touchdown. I remember thinking at the, at the moment, like, because I was a huge Blake Bell fan going into the season. I was shocked that Bob went, went with Trevor Knight to start, but I was like, all right, I'll, I'll roll with the punch here. But after this, I'm like, Blake Bell's going to be the unquestioned best quarterback in the history of OU football. <laughs> I just, I like, this, yeah, I like got, the story, and I like the um, the physical gifts that he has, obviously being huge. And he just had a cool yeah, name. He had a cool name. Oh, I know. And he was, uh, so Lee, Trevor Knight started the first three games of the year, and he was, uh, he was he was not spectacular. In fact, he was he was arguably bad. He was not good he was at all. Boring. And um, yeah, and um. So of course, all the fans wanted uh, wanted Blake Bell to start because he was, you know, a four star, top one hundred recruit. And then he started against Tulsa the week before this, and he threw for almost like five hundred yards and six touchdowns. <laughs> and so everyone oh, wow. was like, everyone was just going <laughs> going crazy for Blake Bell. Um, and so yeah, like th- this game just sort of added to the legend of Blake Bell. It kind of sucks that it wasn't, uh, it didn't uh, it didn't continue. But hey, guys, we can actually skip ahead if you want. All right, so this is a moment we're going to skip ahead. So now we're this is the end of the first half, right? We're at halftime, yeah. essentially? Yeah, we're at halftime, and we're also going to skip through OU's first possession of the first half because they don't do anything. All right, so for the purpose of the podcast, then, I think it's to be better to break this up into two different episodes. So I figure we're going to go ahead and somewhat wrap this first part up just so it's kind of a smooth. Well, that's probably not going to be that smooth, but... Uh, while you're listening uh, at home, then this is kind of the first part. We'll wrap it up, but then the next episode we'll pick up at the next spot, and it all makes sense, I promise. So uh, I guess, guys, good first half. Bester touchdown. Was it 21-7 at halftime? Yeah, tw- you got it. 21-7 at half, and I can still remember my dad going, we were up 30-14 to 14 in the third quarter in 99. It's not over. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, we'll be back with – the next episode with the third and fourth quarters of OU Notre Dame. Until then, this is West of Everest.